Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show just after one o'clock Eastern time here in the nation's capital of Ottawa, where I am going to be broadcasting from this uh, very nondescript generic Ottawa hotel room for the next few days. Now, uh, don't get too excited. I'm actually not up here doing anything to do with the show. I, I'm working on a, another project, which I'll have some details about in the near future. The only reason I'm telling you any of this is so that you don't think this is actually my couch, because it is not. Although, a funny thing about this couch, last time I stayed at this hotel was when I was in Ottawa covering the Public Order Emergency Commission, and I did my show from like the it was a different hotel room but i like the say they're all you know nondescript and generic and i did my show from this uh, very same couch or that room's equivalent and i had the strangest request from a viewer of this show that wanted to sleep on the couch they thought they would love to be up in Ottawa to uh, cover or see the Public Order Emergency Commission as well and thought that maybe it would be a little cost prohibitive and they could perhaps share my room with me. And I try to be a nice, easygoing person, but I, I had to, to draw the line in the sand there. So uh, this time I'm just showing off by taking the couch to myself for the purposes of the show today. Uh, actually, a couple of blocks from where I am, the parliamentarians have voted on who the new Speaker of the House of Commons is going to be. I've got no skin in the game. It, to me, is like the most uninteresting thing ever because the Speaker of the House is meant to be bland and uninteresting. And the fact that everyone knows who Anthony Rhoda is because of him honoring a Nazi veteran in the House of Commons is a failure of the institution. The Speaker is supposed to be the, uh, I, sh I should say the gatekeeper. I don't even mean it in a negative way, but they're supposed to be just the person that's there to shepherd things along and be well-liked to everyone. And it was unfortunate that Anthony Rhoda, who had done a pretty decent job in that role for uh, however many years he had had it, now gets thrust out the back door in the way that he did. Although I'd say deservedly, but at the same time, it's a, a it's an unpleasant end to an otherwise unblemished tenure. But um, you know what? I would love to see Elizabeth May get the gig. Elizabeth May, the Green Party leader, is uh, currently in the running. And uh, she was like the only one that couldn't be there in person for the speech. She's dealing with some health, health issues, she said. So I don't think she's going to get the votes. But man, would that be entertaining if Elizabeth May were the Speaker of the House. So I, I actually ran into a couple of Conservative MPs this morning. And I said, I know you're, you're going to vote for your guy, the Conservative MP. MP, but it would be great if you could actually uh, put a vote for Elizabeth May as well. I think Canadians deserve something to that effect, but uh, we will have to uh, see where things go there. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about today in a little bit more detail is the uh, CRTC's takeover of your podcast. Now, I, I spent a fair bit of effort on the show yesterday talking about this, and the reason is this is important. This is the uh, manifestation of Bill C-11, which is the government's mass takeover of internet content coming to roost. This is not a particularly surprising development. We've known this was coming, but we didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. And, and why that's so important is that one of the warnings I gave when C-11 first came up, one of the warnings I gave was that so much was left to the regulations. So much was left to how the CRTC was going to interpret this law and put it into effect. So we didn't actually get to see the full scope 
of what C-11 was going to do when the bill was being discussed, debated, and eventually passed. The announcement that came out just like on a Friday before a long weekend, which is always how you know they want to bury it, was the CRTC putting out its requirement for podcast networks and streaming services to register. Now, they had a few criteria. You have to operate in Canada, which simply means you have to be accessible to Canadians. It doesn't have anything to do with where you're headquartered or registered or where your CEO lives. It is are Canadians able to access it on the internet? Which basically means yes, because we do not live in a repressive North Korean style dictatorship, at least not yet. The other part is that you have to have $10 million in revenue. Now, I've spent a fair bit of time going back and forth with some people on Twitter about this, because this is kind of being used by the government and by supporters of what the CRTC is doing as an excuse to say, we're not going after the little guys. We're not going after independent content content creators. We're just going after companies that have $10 million. We're just going after companies that have $10 million in revenue. Now, this is impossible impossible to separate from individual content. It's impossible to separate from individual content. And the reason for this is because if you are a streaming service or a network that offers podcasts, like let's be real here. The government is saying streaming service because they're going to make you think about Netflix and Crave and all of that. But when they say that, they also include any website that offers podcasts. So that's Apple Podcasts, that's Spotify, that's Amazon, which has a a podcast division, all of these different outlets. How can you offer to people a regulation of networks without offering regulation of the content on those networks, the content available on those streaming services? And that's the part that the government is leaving out here. Uh, Pascal Saint-Ange, who's the, the new heritage minister, she has the unpleasant task of defending this legislation, has tweeted out as though this is just like this perfectly fine, hunky-dory thing. Oh, the Online Streaming Act is just giving you more Canadian stories. It's supporting Canadian music, television, and cinema. It gets global streamers to pay their fair share. So uh, they want Mr. Beast to pay his fair share, I guess, or something like that. No, they're not just talking about Netflix and YouTube and Amazon and Spotify. They're talking about anyone whose show is available on those platforms. Let's just take the politics out of this entirely and focus only on the ideas that the government's using here. Let's just take them at face value that this is about more Canadian content. Well, all of a sudden, we're talking about manipulating Canadian content. On YouTube, it's easy to see how this would happen. YouTube manipulates its algorithm. They have to serve up a certain quota of Canadian content. It's going to be government-approved Canadian content, of course, and they want to include in that diverse voices and all of that. But you also have, beyond that, the question of what it's going to look like on podcasts. So right now, if you go on to Apple Podcasts, which uh, perhaps you've done to get to this show, you'll see a whole laundry list of recommendations. Maybe for Black History Month, they say here are Black podcasts. Or for Pride Month, they say here are gay theme podcasts. Or in general, they say, well, you might like true crime. So here's a true crime series or something else you might like. Okay, well, that's all fair and reasonable that they're trying to tailor their selections based on what they think people are going to like. Well, now government's coming in and saying, you have to serve up a certain amount of recommended content that we like. 
I joked yesterday about like the non-binary Franco-Indigenous quota or something, which, you know, some variation of is going to exist. But what's happening here is the reality of this. The reality of this is that government is going to be picking and choosing winners. So sure, maybe the government is not saying under C-11, the CRTC is directly regulating the Andrew Lawton show. But make no mistake, by regulating the platforms on which this show relies to get to its audience, the government is regulating this show. In the same way it's regulating Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, one of the most popular podcasts in the world, if not the most popular podcast in the world, it's not Canadian content. So it's going to be on the losing end of this regulatory environment. So yes, the CRTC is absolutely regulating content because they're regulating what content can be accessed, how content can be accessed. That's exactly what they're doing here. And they're doing all of this while trying to tell us that they're not. That's what's so disingenuous about it. And I'm afraid to say some people have bought into this hook, line, and sinker. You take, for example, this one tweet that I, I, I try not to get into Twitter scraps, but Billboard Chris, who's a, a guy who I know many of you may know because he walks around with a sandwich board with a slogan about gender ideology and hormone blockers and stuff like that for kids. Billboard Chris was actually taking aim at a lot of people in his own audience. He said, if we don't have freedom of speech in Canada, why am I not in prison? Why am I free to say what, whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want, in defense, in defiance of what our government wants. And there was another long tweet he shared in which he took aim at those who take essentially the conclusion I'm taking from the Online Streaming Act. And I responded to say two things. First off, it's incredibly facile to make the point that because I'm not in jail, we have free speech. To use the gender comparison, that's like saying, because my son or daughter has not been put on hormone blockers, no one in Canada is, which is, I think, incredibly disingenuous. And beyond that, it's also quite ridiculous to not realize that there are degrees of censorship. There are degrees of freedom of speech. You do not have to look at an environment in which we have North Korean-style repression to see that there are myriad restrictions on freedom of speech and freedom of expression in Canada. These come about in a number of ways, through human rights commissions and their regulations, through internet regulations like we're seeing with C-11 and C-18 and the future promised online harms act and through other means that we see. And I, I should point out that the fact that you can distinguish the first amendment in the United States, which has a very rigid and ironclad defense of free speech, from the Section 2B Freedom of Expression Rights in Canada, which are qualified by the so-called Reasonable Limits section of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The fact that these two constitutional protections are different on the surface, on the face, and in application shows that there is just between Canada and the U.S., not even looking anywhere else in the world, a lesser free speech protection in Canada than exists in the United States. Now, someone may say this is defensible or justifiable. I, I'm not even having that debate right now. I'm just saying that it is completely foolish and wrong to say that we have complete free speech in Canada and to use as the basis of evidence the sole claim that Billboard Chris is not in jail. 
Billboard Chris is not in jail. Ergo, there is free speech in Canada. Now, interestingly enough, I was walking around Ottawa this morning and Ontario has this law that prohibits you from demonstrating within a certain radius of an abortion clinic. And this was a law that was put in place directly in response to pro-life protesters that were advocating against abortion in and around abortion clinics. And in Ottawa, there's a, a clinic that's been the site of a great deal of these protests on Spark Street. So you can actually see on the streets, there are signs saying that you cannot protest inside that zone, that if you're on one side of the sign, you're fine. If you're on the other side, you're not. Now, as it happened, this morning, I saw this lovely looking older woman. I didn't speak to her, but she was sitting down and she had a sign that uh, was, and I, to be honest, I didn't even read the whole sign, but it was to do with faith and abortion. And she was just sitting there quietly, not minding her own business. Had she been across the street, she would have been arrested. 100% she would have been arrested. She would have spent time in jails. Maybe she would have gotten a fine, but she would have because other people have. So it is not actually fair to say that you can say whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want in Canada. And again, some people may agree with that. You may say, well, that's a reasonable restriction. We're not debating reasonableness. It is a restriction on free speech. Anything after that is a matter of degrees, which is why I do take things like what the CRTC is doing very seriously. This is a body which has existed throughout its history to regulate airwaves, which are a public good. There is only a, a finite amount of radio frequencies, of television frequencies. And I get that you need a regulator, a bureaucracy to start divvying that up. And I get that you need to have some compliance, especially on technical issues. The United Kingdom is a great example of what happens when you start adding a much more aggressive and content-focused mandate to their telecom regulator. Ofcom, as it exists in the U.S., does in fact regulate content. The CRTC does not. And that has not directly changed under C-11, but we're seeing a creep in that direction. When they start talking about all of these qualitative things that we need more of, beyond even simply Canadian content, but specific forms, showcasing diversity, all of that, there is a lot to take issue with in this bill. I want to welcome to the program here Peter Menzies. He is a former vice chair of the CRTC. Peter, it is always good to talk to you. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Let me just go back to that distinction between Canada and the UK here. Has there been an active push within the CRTC to try to have a more expansive mandate on content historically? Um, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that, expansive mandate on content. They do regulate content. The, the CRTC does that it's through conditions of license. And it's done, you know, transactionally, as you were saying, as I caught the end of what you were saying, you know, that's fair. It's a the spectrum is a crown asset. It's it's a limited resource. Uh, the state has every right to decide how it's used on behalf of Canadians. And when people apply for a license, they accept certain terms and conditions. And one of those is that they will conduct themselves in a certain way on air and in you know comply with things like mm -hmm. the code of conduct for the Canadian Broadcast Standards Council, which at the end of the day can be appealed to the CRTC. So the CRTC tries to keep has tried to keep a long arm on that content reg regulation, but it is there because the Broadcasting Act um, compels it to make sure that the uh, 
uh, system is, uh, to use its terms, I believe it's high standard, which is about as subjective as you can get. But yeah, but but I mean that that right there is what I was referring to. In in that you know in in the UK they don't really have their equivalent with as much power as as the Broadcast Standards Council, which I think has probably helped the CRTC keep its nose clean on on really getting into the nitty gritty for for a lot of these large broadcasters. And then you bring this into an internet context, and we're taking this regulatory authority and putting it over what has been a, a space that I, it's not completely unregulated, you know, laws that exist elsewhere in Canada still exist on the internet, but yes. you don't have that core requirement there of a limited public good that needs to be regulated as such. Yeah. And that's, uh, that was one of the big problems I found in the last week's decisions by the CRTC was that they were making decisions like about online news organizations, online news. And the other one was that caught the eye was pornography or adult content right and then the, the the reasoning was that well it wouldn't be fair to leave those guys unregulated when the guys within the license system are regulated and that makes no sense at all to me because like i was saying if you're inside the license system you it's a transaction you get the license and when you get the license you also get you know you take on these responsibilities and you take on these conditions of license, but you also get protected. You get, you, you, there's all kinds of benefits that come with a license. In the unlicensed area, you're going to get the same regulation, but where's your benefit? Yeah, I think that's a, a tremendously important question here. And, you know, right now, a lot of the defenders of this are, I think, being very short-sighted. They're talking about uh, effectively, oh, well, all they're doing is asking for their name and phone number and address. But it's like, okay, to do what with? It's basically to have the point of contact when they start expanding these expectations and requirements, I, I think. And uh, it's not benign. No, it's not. And and it, it's, it's, it's funny how people could just shrug that off. All they're asking for is your name and phone number and address, right? If you were walking down the street and an officer of the law came up and asked you your name and phone number and address, right? That's, I mean, I don't want to over-exaggerate it, but that's a papers, please, society, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. I mean, it can sound benign and it can be benign, but it can, it, it uh, can also be, you know, a bridge that you don't want to cross, right? Particularly when you're, it's unclear to me as to what the benefit is to society of it occurring and what meant. And just to go back to the the limited public good aspect, because not only is there, you know, there are only so many radio stations that you could have conceivably because of the laws of, of frequencies, but but even within radio programming and television program, you have programming, you have 24 hours in a day. So I, I can understand, and, and I would question whether Canadian content regulations are, are relevant today, but I could understand, okay, we have this many hours a day, you need to devote a certain aspect of it to Canadian content. The internet is finite uh, or is in, infinite as we were talking about it. And, and by that, uh, if you want to access, you know, Canadian content, you have it available to you. If you want to access American content, if you're an immigrant that wants to access content from your home country or in a, a foreign language, you, you have all of that right. And I, I'm, I've yet to hear from the government a compelling reason for how Canadian content is being underserved by the internet. There isn't really a compelling reason. I mean, We've been through, we went through this discussion a bit with Bill C-11 in terms of that, when, especially when people were talking about all we're trying to do is make sure that Canadian content is discoverable on the internet. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, there's something called a search tool, right? And all you have to do is open up your Netflix app, go into the search tool, and type Canadian or type Canada, and all kinds of stuff comes up, right? So they're not really talking about giving people the ability to discover that. What they're talking about is forcing the discoverability on people, and that means suppressing the discover this discoverability of other people. So you end up with a, a favored group getting you know uh, getting bumped up on your on your on your feed uh, online, and the less favored groups. Um, getting less exposure. So, you know, you'll still be able to be free to do what you want to do, but your ability to find an audience for what you're doing will be impaired because yeah. of the government's preference for different types of content over others. Yeah, I think that's a, a tremendously important point you raise because one of the big challenges here is that it, it is like one's gain has to be at another's loss. If you assume that there's only so much space on the Netflix homepage, on the YouTube homepage, uh, certain content has to be downgraded. And, and these tech companies, whatever criticisms you may wish to level at them, of which uh, many have, have come from me, they are pretty attuned to their viewers as businesses. They've invested millions of dollars in, in fine-tuning the algorithms and what people want and what they're going to respond to. And, and this bill, by design, is a manipulation of that. And I, I can't remember, I think it was Pablo Rodriguez a while back when he was still the minister was saying that, you know, this isn't going to ma manipulate uh, any algorithms. No, but it's government forcing these companies to manipulate their algorithms. Yeah, Ian Scott, the, 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 was past, it, yes. the, the past chair of the CRTC, said that exactly. Senator Pamela Wallen asked him, said, sort of said, well, you're not exactly regulating, but you're, you're, you're regulating through the platforms. Right. And he said, yep, that's exactly right. We're not we're not going to tell you what to do with your algorithm. We're just going to tell you the outcome we want. And then we'll talk about how you do that in, in terms of your licensing. So that's exactly what happened. The sad part about that, too, is that because because, you know, YouTube and these other products are sort of are global products. If you if you monkey with those algorithms here and people don't get the sort of visibility they they they, they want within Canada, that has an impact on their opportunity to have visibility in global markets. And the, mm. the best way for Canadian producers of any kind to make money, like serious money, is to have access to global markets. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's 120 million Anglophones in India, right? Um, there's, there's, I mean, there's 350 million of them just next door. Like you can take your, you can get an audience of 30 million people in Canada or you can expand and have access to an audience of 350 million next door, all you know, speaking English, and you know, and and we're choosing to build a wall between that to make it more difficult. I mean, I I get the idea that you want to promote Canadian content, but there's ways to do that without hurting Canadian content as a and its global opportunities as an outcome. Well, I, I was chatting about this a little yesterday with Chris Sims. I mean, the 
the the amusing part of this, I mean, it's not really amusing, I guess, if you think about it, is that the government would, I think, vehemently reject other countries blocking off the import of Canadian content. Because I, I think, you know, the Canadian government would love nothing more than for more Canadian cultural exports, more shits Creeks of the world that will achieve popularity overseas. But if other countries were to do what Canada has done, that would never happen. And, and you basically become uh, very siloed where Denmark will have Danish content predominantly and Canada will have Canadian content predominantly. And that really is the very opposite of what the internet has ushered in that is good. It is. It, it is exactly the opposite. I mean, and that that's the big difference. It doesn't seem to have sunk in with the Department of Heritage at all on him. I really worry that they don't seem to understand the internet and the opportunity of it, right? It's like with the Online Streaming Act, I get that there might have been concerns in, you know, in Quebec about uh, francophone funding and that sort of stuff in the long run. Okay, but if they need more money, just give them more money. But, you know, the, the Canadian film and television industry, its last 10 years, have been out has been it's it's been just flourishing. Mm-hmm. They've had great years. They've had the best years in their history. And even the production of Canadian content is at record high levels. But they still wanted to bring in this regulation because they were worried about Canadian content. They're you know the, the problem is is mystical at this stage, right? <laughs> and and you are now risking bringing to an end this decade of incredible prosperity all because of some political manipulation. Like I said, I think the core issue was probably, you know, francophone content, that they, 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 were, they weren't getting as much funding as, as was coming through the private sector to, to Anglophone. I get that. But if they need a leg up and the government wants to help them, just give them more money, right? You don't need to redo <laughs> the whole internet um, and, and, and create all these problems and all this regulation to fix that problem. We've seen with Bill C-18, the Online News Act, what happens when these big tech companies decide it's not worth their while to comply with legislation. As a result, True North and, and countless other media outlets in Canada cannot share their content on Facebook. We've heard this week that uh, Google and the government have not really been able to reach any resolution on this. So I, I don't know whether we're going to see a response like that from any of the players when it comes to streaming. I'm curious if you think any will respond that way. I mean, surely for a Netflix, there's enough of a Canadian market that it's worth complying in some way with this, especially if it doesn't really cost them anything. But do you see some C-18 style response from any of the big players? Yeah, I think that's certainly possible. Um, Not so much necessarily from the big players, although it is possible from, say, a Disney Plus. Um, And, you know, for reasons in addition to, this, this legislation in terms of how they're positioning themselves. But at a certain point, you know, th- this is interesting for the CRTC because in all of its hearings in the past, it's everybody in the room, pretty much everybody in the room has a CRTC license or wants a CRTC license. They're all dependent on the CRTC. So all that really is happening in the room is you're negotiating the terms of that relationship, but the relationship is locked in. You are married to the CRTC. When it comes to now with the, this next hearing, there's going to be a whole bunch of people in the room who have the option just to leave. Hmm. And that creates an entirely new dynamic. And I'm really, really curious to see how the CRTC is going to like respond to that because there will be people there who can say, well, sure, if you do that, well, then we'll have, to, we'll have to look at it from a business point of view. And some of the smaller streamers, particularly, 
could look at it and say, you know, you know what? I mean, all this regulation and all this sort of stuff, and if we have to make a contribution into this fund and that sort of stuff, you know, there's a there's an anglophone market of just over 30 million people. It's not that big. It's just not worth it, right? And they'll just leave, and they'll take their most popular shows, and they will sell them most likely to Crave. So this will work very well for Bell if if that works, because then they'll become an aggregator of all these smaller channels. BritBox, like I mentioned, is is is, is one. So I'm not saying if, nobody can say what will happen because you don't know, but it's certainly possible. And and they'll just do a business analysis on it and say, okay, we'll just sell some stuff into Canada, but we don't need to stream in Canada. And so Canadians will have us be living in a smaller world. Well, it's an interesting dilemma you bring up. I mean, one that I've been trying to sort of goad into this debate is Daily Wire in the U.S., which uh, operates its own streaming service for content behind a paywall. They've got Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson. It's a more conservative aligned network, obviously. So I don't think it's particularly keen to uh, do Justin Trudeau's bidding. But beyond that, it's a, a mark. It's a an outlet that would have very little interest in the Canadian market. And it's probably not worth their time to focus on compliance with Canadian regulations. So uh, you take the Daily Wire as one example, and there are probably others that you could point to in Australia or the UK or, or Europe that just do not invest in Canadian government relations or compliance because it's so minuscule to them. And I, I'm wondering what will happen because a lot of these organizations may not even think to register. If And if they do, they may think that it's not worth their while. Does the CRTC even have the capacity right now to start going after any outlet around the world that doesn't register that uh, under the letter of what they're doing operates in Canada by virtue of being accessible here? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out because I was, I was asking a couple of colleagues this morning in anticipation of being asked that question, uh, how can they find out who makes $10 million in Canada and who doesn't? Mm -hmm. right? So like, I mean, and does it, does it have to be 10 million from Canada or can it be just 10 million? Cause the way I read it, it just said, if they have revenues exceeding 10 million, I wasn't even sure if it was geographically limited. I think that maybe stands to be clarified as well. Okay. Um, but I mean, but even how, so, how, 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 they are you, know? <laughs> how are you going to tell if, I mean, let's, let's just assume that it's $10 million in revenue that you draw from Canada, that you are, mm -hmm. cause it, it sort of says you are active in Canada and you have revenues. So it, it, it probably needs to be clarified, but let's, let's assume it's $10 million. Mm -hmm. And how do you find out? Right. Like, um, and, and who wants to find out who wants to sort of, <laughs> when you don't register, does that mean everybody knows how much money you're not making? <laughs> right. Um, you know, you know, yeah. and that sort of stuff. So I think the 10 million was a real mistake. I think they should have had a much bigger number in, in part to make life easier for everybody, at least starting down this path of internet regulation. But secondly, the whole purpose of this act was sold to everybody as this is just about getting money from web giants. So go get money. So what now you make 11 million bucks that makes you a web giant? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get that at all. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know yet how they would find out. Like if you don't register, how they would find out about you. Um, if they do find out, they, they have fairly limited powers um, at, at this point, but they would have to go to federal court and get a court order forcing your compliance. Um, they've done that. They've done that in the past with other groups that are supposed to register that have refused to register, but they don't have a big hammer they can bring down on you. So this could, you know, that gets immediate action. 
So this is something that could drag on for years. Well, and also, I mean, if we are talking about a, a player that's completely non-compliant for whatever reason, you know, inevitably you have one tool in the toolkit, which is block Canadians from accessing this. Uh, you know, the government would have to. And that's a, a road that I would hope no government wants to go down. Yeah, you'd have to you'd, you'd end up going to court to get a federal court to, to, mm-hmm. to issue a, a blocking order to ISPs. Yeah. That says that you you may no longer show Andrew Lawton's show. Uh, you have to don't give them have, any ideas, Peter. <laughs> you have to you have ten to, million. I promise you. <laughs> no, you have to you have to block that right because they are non-compliant and that sort of stuff. And that gets you know that is really really draconian when you mm-hmm. when you have to get into that right. So I think people's willingness to register. I mean, there will be a number of people who will do so very nervously. Um, uh, and everybody says, well, right now you're just being asked to register and that sort of stuff. But no, you're not. You're being asked you're, you're being asked to walk through a door and you don't really know what's on the other side. And that makes people nervous and it'll it'll have a negative impact on investment. It'll have a negative impact on growth, just as it has just as the Facebook ban has had a, uh, on news has, uh, you know, had people put uh, expansion plans and growth plans on hold. Because everybody's right now, it's two months. We're two months in, and everybody's trying to get in the calculator out and trying to figure out how much this has cost them so far, yeah. and you know where are we at it. Where you know how does this impact our budget for this year? Do we have to? Where do we have to cut back? Do we have to cut back? Can we make it up someplace else? You know th- that's what you create when you do this, and it can go on for years, and it does real harm, especially at a time when we need a lot of creativity and we need a lot of investment. We need to adapt to a new world. Yeah, very, very well said. Peter Menzies, always a pleasure. Keep up the fantastic work on this. Really appreciate your time. Thanks very much for your interest. Always happy to help. Take care. All right. Thank you very much. Hopefully, again, you can still access this podcast. We haven't been taken offline just yet. But I I think the point that I made in my monologue is the enduring one of this show, which is that if you're regulating the services people need to access podcasts, and I'm talking about podcasts, but it's all content, all shows, you are regulating the shows themselves because you are regulating which are worthy of being seen and which are not. And again, if we follow this through to its natural conclusion, government has to be prepared to go and fight for a kill switch to block access to certain sites, whether it's the Disney Plus or the Daily Wire or the BritBox or whatever the case is, which is uh, incredibly, incredibly Uh, authoritarian in nature. And I'm not saying that Canada is on par with North Korea. I'm not making that claim, but I'm saying that it is a government control of content, a government control of what people can say and see online which is absolutely egregious. We are going to move on from this for now. As I said, we'll continue following this story. I'm especially keen to see if there is any movement, if any of the uh, free speech crusaders, people like the Rumbles of the world, will step up and speak out against this. I think a lot of them are probably trying to look at what what is actually expected of them, what is actually required of them. But uh, I do want to turn our attention to this. Now, I mentioned just in passing at the beginning of yesterday's show that it was on the weekend, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Trudeau, I don't believe, went surfing into Fino, so he's learned his lesson after that first year. Uh, Conservative leader Pierre Polyev, like a lot of MPs, decided to take the day to meet with some Indigenous leaders. He posted this photo which was him having a very somber moment with a woman by the name of Manitok Thompson. She is a, an elder who is Inuit, 
And she was at this event with Algonquin elders. Now, at first, people looked at this tweet and decided it was worthy of dunking because, oh, oh, oh Pierre Polyev's an idiot. He's meeting with a Algonquin elders, he says in the tweet, but she's Inuit and she's well-known and you're such a moron. Uh, one of the people saying this was Mark Miller, who is the Minister of Crown Indigenous Affairs, Affairs for the Liberal government, who decided to poke a little bit of fun at Polyev's expense here. He says in tweets of his own that, uh, oh, well, it's an opportunity for learning and growth. And for example, you might want to know that uh, this is not actually an Algonquin woman and so on. Uh, this was picked up in an article written by the Canadian press that was not framed around anything other than trying to take this weird Twitter dunk and convert it into real news. The Canadian press story, uh, Polyev called out for tweet caption on Truth and Reconciliation Day photos with Inuk Elder. Now, you may know Pierre Polyev from time to time likes to scrap with the media. This morning, a reporter from the Canadian press asked Pierre Polyev about, uh, she asked him about the uh, notwithstanding clause in Saskatchewan, which is a perfectly legitimate question to ask, but he was more interested in getting his shot fired at CP. Before I go any further, I think, you know, CP is here today. Uh, CP uh, conducted itself uh, with great unprofessionalism over the weekend in regurgitating a false tweet from a liberal minister to, to politicize, to politicize uh, Truth and Reconciliation Day. Really unfortunate that CP would allow itself to be used in this way. You know, it was really, uh, I want to say it was a beautiful, touching ceremony that I was able to participate in with Algonquin leaders. The reason we didn't put the pictures of that ceremony is because based on their uh, traditional custom, photography is not allowed. And so out of respect for them, we did not photograph that ceremony. Instead, we photographed uh, other Inuit leaders and an Inuit knowledge keeper in particular who was present and who also participated in the Algonquin ceremony. Uh, and we did so with great respect. And this knowledge keeper has now taken issue with both CP's story and Mark Miller's appalling politicization of the Truth and Reconciliation Day. I think uh, CP should stop acting as the communications arm of the PMO. That was the claim. I don't even think he eventually got around to answering the question. He just sort of moved on from there. And I should say the uh, reporter in question who asked him uh, that question is a, a very, very good reporter. And uh, I think in her case was probably a little frustrated because I, I was actually curious about his take on the notwithstanding clause in general. But uh, he was uh, displeased with CP's coverage by a different reporter on that photo. Now you may wonder, okay, well, let's put the indigenous woman at the center of this. We're told we should make space for indigenous voices. Well, uh, she was none too pleased with Mark Miller's attempt to hijack the narrative here. Manitok uh, Thompson, a rather well-known Inuit elder who uh, tweeted out in response to Mark Miller, at least I'm not a Nazi. Yeah, go you go girl. And she also tweeted later on about how uh, she had tried to stand as a liberal and the the liberals didn't want her as a candidate. And she said, yeah, you know, where were all the liberals here? I would have loved to have seen them, but it was the conservatives that showed up. So uh, talk about a little attempt at a dunk backfiring there, Minister Miller. That does it for us for today. We'll be back tomorrow with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show, uh, Big Red Couch. I was going to say Big Red Comfy Couch, but I can assure you after sitting on this for 40 minutes, it is not comfy. So maybe I'll like find a different spot in the room tomorrow from which I do the show. But I wanted to like give you like, I can see the Supreme Court out the window, but then you just have, I'd be in silhouette 
which come to think of it, I'd probably look better in silhouette than I do with the light head on. So I'll figure that out for tomorrow, but we'll talk to you then. Thank you. God bless and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.